Well, we welcome everyone to this week's edition of View from the Press Box. I'm Scott Hogan, and joining me as always is Brad Hallier. And Brad, it's uh, the end of February, heading to March, so that means postseason basketball this week, actually starting tonight, this Monday, is upon us. So let's start with where the playoffs or postseason is going to start. So we'll start with a little Sterling College Warrior basketball talk as we're going to start with the men. We usually start with the women, but let's start with the men because we're recording on Monday and the Sterling men are going to open their uh, tournament play actually tonight uh, at Tabor. As we look back on their week, Brad, it was again, this is the Sterling men this year. It was a, a peak and valley week. Let's talk about the peak. I made the long trip up to Ottawa on Wednesday and I was treated to just a fantastic college basketball game. Even if you didn't have a horse in the race, no matter what level it was at, it was just a fantastic back-and-forth, well-played college basketball game that Sterling won over a good Ottawa team in overtime, 108-102. to Kenan Comley, we saw this out of him in high school, Brad. He got in one of those zones that he can get in as a shooter and hit seven of his nine three-point attempts in that Ottawa game on his way to 27 points. And, and what I liked on Wednesday, Brad, every time Ottawa – Sterling got up 10 points, I think, three different times in the second half. Ottawa would close it. And a lot of times, Sterling, when a team would get on a run, that run would snowball on it. But no, Sterling would answer that run. They'd hit a three, get a steal, get an easy basket. Kept them at bay. Ottawa did get it tied, sending it to overtime. But um, Sterling hit some big free throws in overtime. They made a, a crucial steal at the end to prevent a a chance for Ottawa to get back in the game. And it was just a real high point of the week. And it was, it was just a fantastic game. Yeah. And it's uh, just like you said, kind of the, the old peak and Valley of the season. It's just been kind of a wild, bizarre season. And, but, but going back to Ken and Comley, my goodness, not only did he score well, 27 points, but his assist to turnover ratio, seven assists to one turnover. You'll take that any day from any of your players out there. Uh, if you even added a few rebounds in there. So I tell you what, that's a, that's a good all-around performance from, your, from one of your guards. And, and you come off that, that huge high, you come back home on senior day. Um, as many people as, as we're allowed to put into the Gleason Center this year were there on Saturday for senior day, of course, to, to watch both teams. Both were supposed to be good games. Um, the Warriors ended up leading uh, at halftime 41-30 to 30 on Friends. And about four to five minutes into that second half, uh, things changed where friends went from down, I believe a 60 to 56 was a score I wrote down. And friends went from four down to six up and a big time her actually five up as they hit back to back to back threes on Sterling. And Sterling just seemed to kind of, you could see the body language. They came off, the shoulders were slumped. And it just snowballed from there. They went on and, and lost just by 10, but were outscored 49 to 28 in that second half. Um, nine, 19 to 7 at the free throw line. That's something Sterling's league best as a team only hit 50% from there. And it was, it was just one of those head scratchers again. And the short turnaround, just two days to get ready to, to play Tabor tonight. But you just left uh, shaking your head again. That's just win or lose. You, you kind of seem to do that this year. Uh, you know, when they win, you're like, wow, you know, where, where has that been most of the year? Then lose. And you're thinking, well, what happened to the team we saw the other night? So it's just been kind of like that all season long. It's just been a, a, a weird, bizarro season for the Sterling College men. But you know what? You never know what's going to happen in postseason play. That's kind of the beauty of uh, college basketball in this country is uh, we just never know what we're going to see. And I'm not going to proclaim that Sterling is going to march their way to the uh, KCAC tournament <laughs> title by any stretch. But you know what? There, there, there's, there, there's enough out there. I think enough evidence where a win or even two, I don't think, is unrealistic. Well, let's go ahead and look at the tournament again. They play Tabor tonight. For some reason, Brad, this team plays a lot better on the road um, this season. Uh, the first matchup against Tabor back in November. Uh, Sterling fell late, 80 to 68, and then went over and again. Just played a great game, held off every run, everything Tabor threw at him, 190 to 85, over in Hillsboro on um, January 13th. So, um, 
the way they seeded the postseason with the uneven schedules, the St. Mary teams withdrew from postseason consideration, so that didn't factor in, but they used some strength of schedule, some power index. They didn't go strictly by winning percentage, so Sterling ends up as the 11, Tabor the 6. Um, the 8-9 the game is Friends at Bethany. The winner there plays number one seed at Bethel on Wednesday. 12-5 game is York at Southwestern. They'll play McPherson. Uh, Sterling at Tabor will play Ottawa, the three seed. And then the 10-7 is Avila, Kansas Wesleyan. They'll play at Oklahoma Wesleyan. So, I mean, it's two teams they have beaten. Potentially, they would play in the first two rounds. Uh, they match up um, size-wise pretty nicely with uh, Tabor. Obviously, they play two close games with Ottawa. Um, they, they turn in the track meets, but that seems to kind of be the way this team plays best. So if they can have a short memory and forget about the friends game on Saturday, I, I'm cautiously optimistic that they can move on to the, the quarterfinals, but they have to forget about it and play 40 minutes. And sometimes that eludes this team. But again, for some strange reason, they play better on the road. And that, that kind of goes in with the theme of the season, doesn't it, Scott? That they just—it uh, <laughs> its just been a weird, a weird, wild season for them. Uh, not always in a good way, but you know what? What would be more wild and bizarro than to see them get a couple of victories here at the KCAC tournament? Again, I'm not going to go out and say that they're going to win this darn thing or make the finals or anything like anything like that. They could just as easily, uh, you know, lose this first round game with Tabor. But on the other hand, I wouldn't be surprised to see them win a couple of games and play in the semifinal round. I wouldn't either, and I think Coach Hooker, he said, uh, the thing that resonated with me Saturday in postgame was he said, can you imagine if our season ended this way, the way they played in that second half against France? So even if they would go tonight, lose by five, you know, overtime, something like that, but if they just finished and played 40 minutes and just got beat by a better effort, um, I think they would be much more happy. Certainly they, they want to pick up the win in advance, but just to play a, a better game to end the season on, I think um, not that they're not that they're wanting to go out there and see what they can do, but certainly don't want to have it um, in the way it did Saturday. No, no, you definitely want to go out with uh, at least some, something to build on for next year and, and feeling good about things. So um, I, it, it's Scott, I literally, literally don't know what to expect. What's going to happen with this team uh, in the postseason? Feeling that way as uh We'll go ahead and look over on the women's side of the equation. And of course, the Sterling women uh, remained undefeated with two lopsided victories this week, won 84-51 at Ottawa, and then came home for senior day and won 91-50, Brad. And to say this game was over early on Saturday was an understatement. They led 28 to nothing in the first quarter before Friends scored, and it was 33-5. to when the first quarter ended. So as far as the outcome, um, again, they went out, pressed, got turnovers, hit some early threes, kind of like they've done often this season, got out and ran the floor, getting um, easy baskets, and they they left no doubt there was going to be no upset on senior day. They're kind of turning into like the Yvonne Drago of uh... – women's basketball out there they're just going out and just slaughtering people with no uh, thoughts about it, uh, what they're doing to these poor teams that they're beating like this I mean they're just destroying them right now and you know possibly even more important Scott is right now it, when you get games like that you're able to really get a lot of players in and rest some of your top players and I look at uh, the box score and no one played more than 28 minutes and that's that that's big and more than that they had eight players with at least uh, 18 minutes and they were able to get let's see uh my goodness, uh, 10 players off the bench in at least four minutes each. And I tell you, some of those team uh, players that they have coming off the bench, I mean, I said it last week, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if you could take a team of uh, Sterling College women reserves and they wouldn't finish in the top half of the KCAC. Yeah, the, the way they rotate, that, that there are literally girls going in and out of that lineup. Um, they, they go an eight-man rotation, regular, sometimes nine, depending on uh, matchups that come up in a certain game with bigs or guards or whatever you want to say. Um, so, yeah, it's just fluid. I, I look up when I'm at the scores table, and there is generally Sterling girl standing by me most of the game ready to go in. I mean, she just keeps teams fresh and just keeps that pressure on for 40 minutes. Well, they 
obviously when they get those leads, they pull out of that full court pressure. But yeah, it's, it's amazing to watch. And we saw history in both of the games Wednesday, the, the final basket for Kyla Conley to get her to 22 points, put her right on the button, 2000 points in her career. She is third in the all time list. And I'd have to look, I believe she added 12 more on Saturday. So she is within uh, Mika Woudstra is number two on the all-time list, I believe, setting at 2081. And Kyla, I believe, would be at 2012. So there's an outside chance she could finish second on the all-time scoring list. And just to top it, her four, or her third assist on Saturday, she passed her head coach, Casey Bassett, and became the all-time assist leader at Sterling College. So not only did they finish the regular season perfect, uh, I got to witness a little history. She had 10 rebounds also against uh, mm-hmm. friends, right? She did, yes, double-double. <laughs> so, uh, Kyla Conley is going to go probably go down as one of the best players that uh, Sterling College has ever seen. I mean, the Conley Comet, as we used to call her back in the day, is just one of the just most – not just outstanding players, but just all around. I mean, she's got no weakness in her game. I mean, when you're on that kind of list for points and assists and then you're adding just for giggles, you know, 10 rebounds – that just shows, shows you just how of a good all-around player that she is. And maybe, arguably, you know, you know more about the history than I do, but you, you can probably consider her one of the top players that we've ever seen over at Sterling College. She's she definitely on a, on a fairly short list as far as that category would be concerned. She was struggling part of the season with her three-point shot, and she was not happy uh, with that. She's worked really hard. I tell you, the last three or four games, the threes have been going in for her. And when the threes go in, your guess is as good as mine how you guard her um, because she's one of the best I've ever seen off the dribble shooting. And when she can add the three-point shot and you have to go out and defend that, um, her drive and her dish is obviously far and above the assist leader in the conference. And her teammate, Bailey Banger, is second in the conference, but she's about 40 behind um, Kyla. So, yeah, it's it's been amazing to watch as we look at the tournament, how it sets up. Again, they use some – um, strength of schedules and things, but Sterling will play the winner of uh, Friends in Ottawa in Ottawa on Tuesday. These games will be played when Sterling starts on Thursday, so that's their last two opponents. So they're going to be very, very familiar with them. Uh, the five twelve matchup Southwestern is at Kansas Wesleyan, the winner to play the four seed McPherson. Uh, the eleven seed Avila at number six Bethany. They'll play the three seed Tabor. And then number 10, York, at number seven, Oklahoma Westland will play the two-seed Bethel. Bethel ended up in a two-way tie with Tabor, had the tiebreakers. Um, I'm not exactly sure what it came down to, but that is huge, Brad, in the KCAC when your automatic bids go to your regular season and tournament champion. And if Sterling would be able to run the table, win the tournament, the second seed in the conference goes to the number two finisher in the regular season, and that would be Bethel due to the tiebreaker. So that was huge for Bethel to end up as the two seed if Sterling ends up winning the tournament. Well, I want to know, Scott, what you think. If if Sterling doesn't – like, who would you say are the the two or three teams most likely – if Sterling doesn't win the tournament, who would you say is the most likely to? You know, give us two or three teams. The one I would put my – my money on, if I was picking somebody besides Ter- Sterling to win the tournament, it would be Tabor. Um, Sean Reed's teams, how he does it every year, they play their best basketball in the second semester, and that's exactly what they've done. They beat Bethel head-to-head recently. They split the regular season. Um, I would say it would be between those two, Tabor and Bethel. You know, Bethel with a 6'3", Abby Schmidt, and good shooters – around her could could be a threat um it would certainly be the winner of that game um assuming they both win uh their first games um those were the two i would pick to be the biggest threat other than sterling to win the tournament anybody else i mean is, is there like a dark horse in there i mean you've said some good things this year about mcpherson bethany i mean I know that they're, uh, McPherson is on, uh, obviously, uh, Sterling's side of the bracket, and then Bethany would have to get through Tabor or Bethel. But is there anybody like a dark horse you know, that, uh, that, we, that we could worry about a little bit? Potentially? The two I might pick 
Kansas Westland sitting there at the five seed. Um, really good post play with Kelsey Hens. Amanda Hill's a very good three point shooter. Um, when they're on, they, they're, they're very tough. It, you know, I expect them to beat Southwestern. Them and McPherson will be a great game. My real dark horse, and it's because of three-point shooting, would be Oklahoma Westland sitting there at the seven. Um, they chuck up a lot of threes, Brad. I mean, it's just the way they play most games. Um, and you know as well as I do, shooting's contagious. And if they could um, – I expect them at home to beat York. If they could get on the floor with Bethel and get the game up and down and threes start going in, um, they could be a real dark horse possibly um, – to get to um, Hartman Arena in the finals. Um, Bethany, possibly, they've just been – I've been really surprised. The consistency has not been there this year for Bethany. Um, again, they're, they're a good, solid team, but I, I just don't see them winning uh, three games. But those would be my – Oklahoma Westland, K-Dub would be my real dark horses. Uh, we got to love this time of the season when we can break down brackets like this. It's one of my favorite things about uh, March, uh, Scott. I know we're not in March yet, but for all intents and purposes for postseason basketball, I, I love the discussing brackets, but the potential matchups and who can make a long run. Yeah, it, it's great fun. Again, so if you're, it's going to be Monday, Wednesday, Saturday, the early game, 2 o'clock. Everything else is 7. And then Monday for the men. The men will be the first championship game at Hartman Arena. Uh, next Monday, of course, we'll have a preview of the finals. The women are Tuesday, Thursday, the late game Saturday at 7, and then the late game at Hartman Arena um, for the tournament championship coming up uh, a week from today. Well, again, another good week turned in by the Kansas Jayhawks, Brad. Um, won both of their games, as expected. Uh, handled K-State in Manhattan 59-41, and then a, a gutsy, hard-fought, home win over then number 15 texas tech 67 61 they get ku back in third in the conference at 17 and 7 overall 11 and 5 is their uh conference record and now the, uh, the rubber really meets the road this week tuesday at number 12 texas back at home saturday for number two baylor um, so they, they got that first of the three games we were talking about the texas tech texas baylor stretch um, what what did you see that you like from the Jayhawks and moving forward? What do you what do you see in them from the matchups against Texas and Baylor? Well, first of all, that uh, win over K State was one of the most grotesque basketball games I've ever seen in my life. I mean, K State was stuck on thirty five points with I think seventy seconds left, and a couple of their guys off the very end of the bench hit three pointers to get them up to forty one. I mean, my goodness, that was as as bad of a basketball game. As I can recall, I mean, KU honestly did not play well and still won by 18 despite only scoring 59 points. But the one thing I really like what I've seen from KU is I, I know the schedule these last couple weeks hasn't been quite as tough, but they have beaten Oklahoma State. They have beaten Texas Tech, uh, swept Texas Tech, actually. Yeah. And what, what I really like what I see from them is their defense is getting better, I think. I mean, they did a great job on uh, the the Texas Tech kid, I think it's uh, McClung, I think his name is. Mac yes. McClung only had 11 points, 4 out of 13 shooting. He had a couple turnovers in there. He didn't really force anything, but we know one of the shots that he made was a, kind of a, a prayer at the buzzer in the end of the first half. And they're just playing really good defense right now. They, they got Dewan Harris back. Bryce Thompson's playing pretty well right now. Mitch Lightfoot is the Mr. Reliable off the bench who will take two charges every game or something like that. And... I think this Scott. I think if this team can catch, not 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 necessarily fire, but if they can shoot the three with a little bit better regularity than maybe we saw, they they were just eight of twenty six on Saturday. If they can get that percentage into the mid upper thirties or even the lower forties, uh, come NCAA tournament time, there's there's reason to think that this team could make a Final Four run. It's going to be tough this week. Although Texas, I I heard uh, there was some infighting among their team on Saturday, and that's when things kind of uh, blew up on them. Uh, you know, Baylor just hasn't played very much lately. They've only played half their conference schedule. So I'm kind of curious when, if and when they do get back on the court, you know, can they recapture what they had before they've had this extended layoff? So Kansas is probably a little bit eager to go down and play Texas, Scott. That was quite a butt whipping Texas handed <laughs> Kansas earlier this year. And you know that Bill Stuff has put that in his back pocket. Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt that he'll have his team focused. And I, I like what you like, Brad. Defense travels, even when you're not shooting the ball well. If 
you can keep a game and just let's just face it, KU, this team is not built to win games in the 70s and 80s. It's just it's just not. On occasion, yes, but like you said, the three-point shooting has not been uh, a consistent staple of this team. But if defense is, especially the way they played the last couple of weeks, that's going to keep you in most every game, even against the Baylors of the world. If you can keep a Baylor shooting um, in the upper 30s or even low 40s for a game, you're going to be in the game if you can hit some shots. So I, I really like that, and I'm like you. If they can get the consistency out of their shooters, um, still get production from McCormick, Lightfoot, and company, get some points in the paint, I, I'm with you. I'm optimistic that this team can maybe turn the corner, and when the tournament comes around, teams are going to say, mm, we got to play Kansas it's going to be tough to score against them. Yeah, and that's really what Bill Self's teams are are well known for. I mean, the championship team of 2008, I mean, that team was just loaded defensively. Yes, they were good offensively also. But I think the the X factor for KU come March is going to be Christian Brown. <laughs> I think that Jalen Wilson and David McCormick are now at the point where they're, where they're, they're pretty consistent with themselves. Ochai Baji is fairly consistent too. That He'll have that kind of, you know, bummer of a game every now and then where he'll go like, you know, two for – Two, two for 14 shooting or something like that. Uh, but those don't really happen very often for him. Christian Brown was three out of 13 shooting on Saturday, but he did make the big three-pointer in the last minute that pushed the lead to six. And I think if Christian Brown can find some consistency with his shot especially, I tell you, that, that then you would ha- uh, have essentially three legitimate three-point threats out there at all time with Wilson, Brown, and Agbaji. And then coming off the bench, of course, you would have Thompson and Harris. So you would have probably almost at any given time two to three he can even maybe throw Garrett in there. He's not going to shoot a lot of threes, but he has had games where he's three out of four or two out of three. So it's, uh, I, I think Christian Brown is going to be the X factor. Every team, especially this time of year, has one of those players that um, the coach knows. If, if he plays well for us and I get the consistent play that I'm used to out of my other top guys, that, that we're going to win a lot of ball games. And I, I agree, that's, uh, that's Christian Brown. So, again, KU at Texas on Tuesday and home for Baylor on Saturday. Again, all those games heard on 94.7 KSKU. Well, Brad, maybe just equally as good in this state as the Wichita State Shockers right now. They had the huge matchup at home this past Thursday with Houston. And by golly, Brad, they got it done 68-63 to take the lead over Houston in the American Conference, at least when you look at the standings, they played a couple less games in the conference, but they have them ahead of Houston because I, I believe this is I think that was the first matchup against Houston. So they have the head to head. They're thirteen and four, nine and two. Now they have that strange schedule like KU had. They're going to play a home and home this week with SMU's a good ball club. They'll get them home on Thursday and then travel there on Sunday before ending with a couple of teams towards the bottom of the standings that go to Tulane and at Temple the following week to wrap up their regular season. So Wichita State's uh, a, a dark horse no longer for sure after that win over Houston. Oh, absolutely. And I think uh, I, I'd be, I'm kind of interested to see what how many bids that they're looking at the American. And from what I've seen, boy, and at large from this conference might be a little bit difficult unless it's Houston. So Wichita State, unfortunately, may have to win the, the conference tournament. And I just I just fear that the, – the, here's my one fear with Wichita State, Scott, is if they do end up laying an egg against a two-land or a temple, that it could just absolutely just crush their tournament hopes. Hope that's not the case. And I do think that if they can, you know, win these last four games and then make it to the conference championship game and let's say they lose to Houston, then that their body of work will be good enough to get into the NCAA tournament – but I, I just fear that the conference isn't strong right now. It isn't strong enough to warrant anybody other than Houston as an at-large. And, boy, I just really fear that if they do slip up against somebody, that it could just be crippling. Yeah, cause I'm looking at the standings in the American. Again, it's lack of games for some of these teams. Houston's somehow managed to play 21 games. They're 18-3. and three. The Shockers, 13-4. and four. But then you look at Memphis. What do you do with Memphis? They're 12-6. and six. And then SMU 11 and four, I think you stop right there. I think that is the absolute max. I think that conference, uh, the American gets this year because everybody else in there is hovering 
um, around 500. So obviously huge week for SMU if they beat Wichita once or, or sweep um, the Shockers after the Shockers beat Houston. That will propel them up in that bubble watch or, you know, maybe into the into the proposed field. Um, Memphis is sitting there. Eight and three in the conference, twelve and if I'm looking right, twelve and six overall. Um, yeah, it's such a strange year. I don't know what they're going to do with the lack of games. I said SMU's only played fifteen games compared to twenty-one for Houston. The Shocks have gotten seventeen. Uh, boy, yeah, you don't you don't ever want anything to come down to winning a tournament, a conference tournament. But you're right. If if say WSU for some reason goes two and two down the stretch with these last four um, Houston jumps them again, wins the conference. I, I'm with you that um, things could get pretty dicey. Yeah, I, I agree with the, what you said about how they're going to do at large. And, you know, I even look at somebody like Baylor. Now Baylor obviously deserves a number one seed if uh, the season, even if they, even if they cancel the rest of their games and they figure, you know what, just for, for safety concerns, we're not going to go to the big 12 tournament either. We will be healthy for the NCAA. Well, Baylor would still deserve a number one seed. But what do you do with somebody, and I'm just kind of looking through the schedule here, like maybe like a, a Texas or in, a, in Oklahoma who's only played 19 games, and then by comparison, Kansas has played 24. So let's say that Kansas and Oklahoma, you know, both finished right around second, second slash third. They split with each other. Let's say they don't play in the tournament. Well, you know, how do you decipher who gets the higher seed then? Because <laughs> – I mean, you know, Oklahoma by percentage points is ahead of Kansas uh, at nine and four. Kansas is at eleven and five. Are, are you going to punish Kansas for playing more games? That's not their fault. Are you going to punish Oklahoma for not playing enough games? That's not their fault. So it's just, it's going to be a weird selection Sunday to see what they end up doing with everybody because the schedules are going to be so unbalanced, not just within conferences but nationwide. Boy, I hesitate on broaching the subject, Brad, but if a team voluntarily pulls out of a conference tournament, not because they have potential COVID issues among their team. I, I am tempted to penalize a team for that right now, Brad. I mean, um, we're showing that the numbers are going down. It's not being transmitted from team to team. I just, I don't know if I'm taking that as an argument from a team where we stand right now. Eh, we're not going to play in that tournament because there's too many teams there and, and we may see modified tournaments. We may see uh, play in games, maybe even first round games played at a higher team site. You know, Baylor hosts their first game, KU or Oklahoma hosts a first game. Then you only take four to a central site for a couple of days. I can see that happening, but if a team voluntarily without truly legitimate health concerns pulls out of a conference tournament, boy, I, I am taking that into consideration in a committee that, well, maybe this team isn't committed to try to play in the NCAA tournament. Well, I'm going to pull up Baylor's schedule here, Scott. Uh, let's see if I can find it here quick. Uh, like, I might be able to help you there. Let's see. Here we go. I'm a Yahoo. And uh, let's see. How about a list of schedule? Here we go. You know, the last time they played a game was February 2nd. And we're almost done with February. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know we got a what a full week left in February, and that's it. And so it's and they don't have a game on the docket until tomorrow against Iowa State. So it's been three weeks since they last played a game. Hopefully, everything turns out okay. Um, but hey, let, let, let's try this on for size. Let's say they they beat Iowa State, and, and then they lose West Virginia and Kansas, and you know that makes that would make them what ten and two. Uh... Do they deserve? Do they deserve? It? And the, and then let's say. Kansas and Oklahoma both went out this week. I guess Oklahoma has only played them once, but let's say Kansas beat, uh, wins out this week, beats Texas and Baylor, and and Baylor loses twice this week. How do you determine the Big 12 champion then? <laughs> I'm certainly glad I'm not making those decisions. And don't get my previous comments wrong. If there was, if there's legitimate health concerns, you know that's fine. I'm just saying a team that is healthy, there's no. No, no reason other than they don't want to play in the tournament, prospectively. Then, then I'm not sure what you do. Um, boy, I, I don't think you can just go by winning percentage. We saw, like I said, we talked about the KCAC. They used the different. I don't know what the formula was for sure. It was some strength of schedule, common opponents, and things like that. And 
I'm sure committees, the Big 12 committee, I'm sure is talking about that right now. How, how are we going to seed this thing with the uneven game? So I think a lot of that's going to come into consideration. Um, but, wow, I would not want to be on a conference committee, and I certainly would not want to be in that room in the NCAA selection committee this year because there is going to be some – some tough decisions to be made and teams that had not, you know, maybe there's a, there's a threshold. They say, well, a team needed needs to play this many games for consideration. I don't know if they'll do that, but there's going to be some upset teams out there. And I'm not talking about on, on the floor. I'm talking about that. Don't get bids because of the, the current situation we live in. Well, look at the Big East. Villanova's played 17 games. They're obviously a tournament team. I have no problem with that. But then Seton Hall in the same conference has played 22 games. Mm. You know, they played five more games. And you're seeing that all up and down different conferences. Uh, you know, looking at the Big Ten. I mean, you see someone like, uh, let's see if I can just scan this quick. Like, you know, Iowa and Ohio State, they played 23 games. And then, well, most of them have played 20 games, it looks like. It looks like everyone's played at least 20 games in the Big Ten. So that's good. But even then, even if you only got one or two games off the, the, the mark, I mean, is, is that going to hurt a team because they maybe lost to some dog and they didn't get to make up for it by playing in Ohio State? You know, if like if someone like Maryland's on the, the tournament bubble and they missed out on a game against Iowa due to, due to COVID and they end up losing, say, to Nebraska or something like that, I mean, do, do, do we punish them? I, mm-hmm. it, yeah, there's going to be some tough decisions to make on Selection Sunday. Is there any chance in your mind, Brad, that the tournament could have a reduced number of teams like we've seen at the NAI? My first reaction is no way because they're not going to sacrifice that kind of revenue um, for those extra games on TV because of not even having a tournament last year. But do you think that's even a consideration to maybe just take, okay, we're taking regular season and tournament champions and we're taking that at-large field from, I believe it's either, what, 27 or 29 at-larges every year, somewhere in that frame. We're taking that down to to 10 or 12 this year. Do you, do you think they, they're even considering anything like that? No, not at all. Not, not This this is the NCAA's cash cow. I know football makes the most money you know, for the entire season, but there's no bigger money revenue for the NCAA than the NCAA men's basketball tournament. I don't, I don't think there's a shot in the dark that they reduce the field. I'm I'm with you there. I just, you know, obviously the NAI is not the, the, the money maker. And, you know, they went from 64 to 48 um, for their, for their tournament this year. But yeah, I'm with you. There's, there's no way they're not, they're not going to take it in the shorts two years in a row on uh, TV revenue. So yeah, some lots of unknowns as far as how even conference tournaments are going to be seated and played out. And we're going to get a lot of answers here in the next few weeks. And again, Wichita State on 100.3 KNZS, home to SMU Thursday at SMU on Sunday. Well, what a week we had, Brad, in high school basketball last week. Before we look at what is kind of an abbreviated schedule, because everybody trying to wrap up by uh, Tuesday this week, we need to look back on a couple, three games that played out last week, Brad, just because of a margin of victory, the upsets that we saw. You and I both had one apiece. Um, let's start with mine, Brad. The Lions boys for the second straight week uh, had a game COVIDed out on Tuesday and only played on Friday. So they played just two games in the last two weeks. So coming off of that debacle at home against Haven where they just didn't play well at all and Haven did play really well, they go to number seven in Class 3A Hoisington last Friday night. Hoisington was coming off of a game the night before where they won handily at Smoky Valley, Brad. And I mean, Lions just destroyed them uh, 62 to 34. We actually had a running clock in the fourth quarter, which was the last thing that would even have crossed my mind for what I thought was going to be a nail biter down, down to the very end. And even more good news for Lions, Brad, both Cade Crawford and Dawson Stover played in this game. Cade played very well hit was three for three from the three point line lions hit 11 of them total. Um, and just, uh, led by 10 at half and just blew them out. I mean, a really good Hoisington team in the second half, Dawson Stover, clearly he had his calf heavily wrapped, did not play in the second half was visibly limping at the end of the second quarter. The plan all along I was told was not to play him in the second half. Didn't need him. 
but you had to account for him, and he's getting a little healthier by the day, and if uh, Ray Alamos hits six triples in that game, he got red hot. Trey McClure was just Trey McClure. They got Hoisington out of the 1-3-1 that Haven always plays. Hoisington played it for a while. They got him out of that, and uh, it was just a butt-kicking, and Lions, oof, they impressed me and proved once again they beat now number one and number seven in 3A on a given night. When they play and shoot like that, they're a threat to beat anybody. Well, let's look at some of their other scores from the season, Scott. They lost to Heston, or I'm not, I'm not, not Lions, but Hoisington. Well, they lost to Heston, but by just eight. They beat Haven by 10. They beat, uh, well, they lost to Hillsboro by nine. They also lost an overtime to Hayes, which I believe is ranked number one in Class 5A, or they were at one point anyway. So this Hoisington team, that's that's not some dog who had an off night. No, that, that that's a team who just a, a great team who just got their, you know, they, they just got their butts kicked by a good Lions team. I don't know what to make of that sub-state, Scott, with uh, Heston, Haven, Lions. I mean, it's it's going to be a dogfight. I mean, that, that, that's, as, that, that's a mini-state tournament right there. Well, and let me bring up uh, Hoisington's, the Larnard sub-state. Um, they didn't do Lions any favors. They certainly did not do Hoisington any favors. Right now, their sub-state is number one Lakin at 19-0. and 0. Hugoton, I believe, is ranked uh, – I haven't seen this week's rankings. I believe they were five last week. They're 16-2. and two. Hoisington now 14-4. and four. And, oh, by the way, Holcomb's 13-5. and five. Um, That's your top four. And when the three of the top ten teams by the rankings last week in Class 3A shoved into that sub-state. So for Hoisington to kind of lay an egg like that, that was not good for them because they're going to have to have by far their – probably A-plus game to come out of that sub-state. Well, and 3A is just loaded, Scott. I mean, the the worst top seed of the eight sub-states right now, 13-3. and three. <laughs> Well, that, that's the worst of the top seeds right now. That's Wellsville, 13-3. and three. You got Royal Valley, 15-3. and three. Galena, 16-2. and two. TMP, 16-4. And, and you know TMP is always good. Lakin undefeated, of course. Heston, 16-1. and one. Cheney, 16-2. and two. Rock Creek, 16-2. and two. I mean, my goodness. 3A is just loaded this year. And Lions this week, they're going to play tonight at uh, Smoky Valley, a makeup game, which Jekyll and Hyde is the best Smoky Valley. Again, they can they can play with anybody or, or they can get beat by a middle-of-the-pack or even lower-pack team on a given night. They'll have that. And then a game which we certainly expect them to win on Tuesday at home against Halstead. Kind of looks like Lions is getting themselves kind of locked into that three-seed in that Heston sub-state, which if things played out, they might have to play Smoky Valley again when that started, but then it would be Haven before you would have a potential matchup again against Heston. So, um, yeah, like you mentioned, um, they've got to play well. It appears that Cade Crawford looked 100% healthy to me. If they can get Dawson Stover even 75% for, for sub-state, um, Lions has got a shot in that thing, but they're going to have to play really well. Yeah, there's a lot of teams that have a shot of that they can maintain some consistency. And, you know, of course, a team like Heston has probably shown the most consistency of them all this year. But as Lions proved, you know, on any given night that the, any one of those teams can beat the other. So it's it, it's it's a deep, it's a talented sub-state, and uh, it, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And we'll, uh, we'll look a lot more at that. We'll have the brackets out when we uh, record next week. Um, boy, you had what, in my mind, is still a big upset. You had uh, Heston girls – go to Halstead, and as you texted me that night, never trailed and convincingly beat Halstead on their home floor 44-31. to 31. So that suddenly, in my mind, makes that Heston substate on the girls' side a lot more interesting because Halstead certainly showed um, that they're um, more vulnerable than I thought they would be against a good defensive team, but Heston put in 44 up on Halstead and holding them on their home floor to 31. That just, it shocked and impressed me both. Heston came into that game having won six out of seven with their only loss being to Hillsboro by seven, a good Hillsboro team by seven. So Heston was already showing signs of peaking, but they went in there and there's no doubt about who the better team on, on the floor that night was. Now that's not to say they play best in seven, that they're going to win four nothing. But what, what I am trying to say is that that it wasn't a fluke. Heston deserved to win that game by that margin. You know, uh, Corinne Yoder, the point guard, boy, she had a great game. Uh, 
Keeker, uh, K- K- uh, I think her name, K- Katie, Katie Keeker had yeah. a nice game. Yeah, uh, had 12 points, and she just – everything was at the rim, or she had a couple nice little five-foot jump shots. I mean, she had a nice game too. And, man, I'm telling you, that, that, that was not a fluke. That, that's a good Heston team that is peaking at the right time. Now, having said that, the one thing I did notice with, with Halstead, that there was definitely some frustration into the second half. You could tell that, you know, that, look, this is not obviously what they are expecting. They were held to a season low in points. But the one thing that really kind of impressed me the most was Corinna Gerber. She only had eight points in that game, Scott. She's obviously one of the best players in Kansas. She's averaging well over 20 points a game. Her body language never changed. She never looked frustrated. She didn't force anything. And to me, that really spoke volumes about what kind of player that she is, is that, you know, she, on a night where she really wasn't getting that many touches, and when she did, she was just swarm. She was quadruple teamed at one time in the second half. But, boy, I tell you, she, she showed me something. That, that's the kind of player I want on my team because of her leadership abilities to know that, you know, if it's not coming to you, you don't have to force it to maintain positive body language. I mean, she's a kind of a stoic kid as it is, but I really liked what I saw from her. It was a disappointing loss, but, you know, I was talking with Coach Derek Schutte in a, during the boys' game, and obviously we don't know what's going to happen, if they're going to learn from it or not. Uh, we like to think that they probably will. But I kind of liken it a little bit to Little River football. You never want to lose. That, that it's, it's asinine to think that, oh, you know, this loss could be good. But at the same time, a loss can help you learn some things about yourself. And as we saw with Little River, they knew that they were good, but they also realized they had a ways to go still. And maybe this loss for Halstead is going to prove to them, you know what, you know, we're, we know we're good, but we still got work to do. Yeah, I, I think it's going to refocus them. And I, I'm still going to pick them to come out of that substate, but it's certainly – I think that's the substate I'm going to have. It's certainly – made in my mind that substate a lot more interesting than I said it would have been even just a couple of weeks ago. So um, that was very interesting. And you already brought up another school we got to talk about as we have touted Little River and a butt kicking they got on Friday. I, I was shocked by this score, 63 to 45. Um, Inman just put it on Little River. And that's an Inman team that played on the road the night before at a good Southeast of Saline team, played them to five points, but came up short. And, boy, they just uh, give kudos to Inman. I mean, they took it right at Little River and beat them convincingly. And I think, Brad, and it's strange to say, I think that's the best thing in the world for this Little River team. You know, maybe they were thinking, hey, we're going to go undefeated. We're going to win state. Um, their head coach is going to grab on to this and say, hey, look, our goal is still to win state. We play like that, we will not. I mean, that, that's, I think he's going to hammer that home. I think it's going to refocus this Little River team, and I think we'll see them even come back and play better after what happened against Inman. Would you want to be Harrington going up against them on Tuesday? Um, no. I believe I would choose <laughs> another team to play. <laughs> uh, first of all, Scott, we got to give all kinds of credit to Inman and especially Coach Brett Frays. I've covered Brett's teams for years. He's such a good dude, and he's such a good coach. I mean, that guy knows how to coach basketball. His team—they've—they've uh, they've played such a tough schedule this year. I got him at eight and ten right now. But you look at the teams that they played. You know, they lost the Lions by eleven. They played Hillsboro uh, to within two points. They—they they beat Sterling this year. Uh, they, they lost to Trinity Catholic. They lost to Sedgwick. Uh, they played Little River twice, won and lost one. Uh, Berean Academy, they, they lost to Mound Ridge by two. They played Southeast of Saline, like you said. It's a, well, it, it's, it's a team that has been well-schooled this year. They, they, they've played some great teams this year. And I'll tell you what, I want to count out in, in, in that sub-state. They're just 8-10, and 10, and uh, let's see if I can find them quick. Like uh, They're only seated, it looks like, sixth. And it's a good sub-state that has Hillsboro and Sacred Heart. But I tell you what, with the, what they did to Little River, if they don't have everybody's attention, they certainly should have it now. <laughs> yeah, they, um, yeah, that's a dark horse. Like I said, on a given night, Inman's got enough talent, good coaching, and they proved um, they beat who, in our eyes, is the best team in all of 1A Little River. And, again, I think it's going to – I think it'll really refocus uh, Little River, and I th- I, they will be just fine. I don't, I don't have concerns. Moving forward with them, um, our schedule, most of the things finish up. We mentioned uh, Sterling and Tabor tonight in the KCAC. Trinity and Conway Springs, uh, boys action, Canton Galva, Trinity girls and girls action tonight to finish up Trinity schedule. Um, El Dorado Bueller, 
Trinity at Bennington, and I have Halstead at Lions on Tuesday. That wraps up the um, higher divisions that we cover as far as 2, 3, and sometimes uh, 4A, except for uh, Bueller going to finish up things on Thursday uh, at Winfield. So let's get into uh, let's get into some of the the sub states because we are going to have sub state action, Brad. And then we're going to kind of talk about what uh, Keisha has done with the postseason this year. This is odd to me, Brad. We're going to have the quarterfinals in both classes of one A this Thursday and Friday, and then they're going to wait a week to play the semis and the finals at the host site. Um, so we, we'll have some action for you um, Thursday and Friday. Maxville, St. John, that's your game. Fairfield, Pratt Skyline, lucky you'll have that game. And then Friday, St. John, Maxville, that's boys, Argonia, Central Christian, Fairfield, Pretty Prairie, Canton, Galva, Gossel, and Center, Central Plains quarterfinal games. Um, anything stick out there to you? And, and what do you make of – why Keisha is, is, is splitting up the quarterfinals, the semis and the finals a week apart. You know, I kind of wish the one thing that Keisha would do when it comes to basketball seeding is not to seed until every game has been played. You know, have, you know, you, of course you have your cutoff, you know, like say, you know, Friday or Saturday or whatever and every game, but you know, there's one, eight teams playing tonight, tomorrow, where the game literally means nothing. Now, of course, if they get to state that then it becomes a factor, but they don't mean anything when it comes to sub-state seeding. And I don't know. I just got a kind of a problem with that. And that, that's across all classifications because we'll see the brackets come out Wednesday and, of course, teams are going to be playing after that. But, yeah, it is a little interesting that they're starting sub-state for 1A this week and then not playing again for another week. Uh, it's just, just another one of those bizarre things. I know we, we've had a weird year and it's – not going to get any uh, less weird, but it, it just just we it's just bizarre that they've done this. Um, it is what it is. Everybody knows what kind of hand they've been dealt, but it, it, it's just a little different to see that substate starting for one a, and then they're taking a full week off before continuing it. Yeah, I I, I was kind of confused by that. Um, anything stand out? We'll have action at the uh, in Division One from the Canton Galva and Norwich sites, and then in um, Division Two, it'd be from the Peabody Burns site, which would have uh, Central Plains, Burton, Chase, Elyria Christian, as far as our area teams in Division One, Of course, up in the Canton Galva is going to have, that's where Little River is at, along with Gossel, Canton Galva, as far as our area teams, and then the one in Norwich, We'll have the uh, Fairfield, Maxville, uh, Pretty Prairie, St. John. And anything uh, stick out to you when you saw the brackets? There, obviously, we're we're picking. Uh, at least I am. I'm picking Little River, both teams, to come out of that Canton Galva one. Um, what stuck out to you when you saw those brackets? Well, I get Pretty Prairie, Fairfield boys on uh, the, the, uh, Friday this week, so you got the the third matchup between these two. Pretty Prairie, the three seed, so it's in Pretty Prairie, and they've each have won a game, so. Always fun to see these rivals go back and forth and play a third time after playing two good games. But in that same subset, Maxville plays St. John. That's the two-seven game. They played last week, fifty-one to forty-nine, Maxville, and that's the two-seven game right there. So, uh, kind of a, a rematch there. And we and we've seen some of these teams that have played this late in the regular season. I'm kind of fascinated when they play this late in the season and have to turn around and play with everything on the line now. So. Uh, w- Halstead coach Derek Schutte and I were talking about that very scenario. They they know that they'll probably have to turn around and play Heston again. So it's just it just makes for an interesting dynamic. And and in that Norwich substate, you know, I do like Norwich to come out of it. But uh, wouldn't wouldn't it be completely surprised if we see some early upsets in in some of these substates, especially when the teams are you know so used to playing each other, maybe playing for a third time. I have seen Skyline when they played Lions, gave Lions all they wanted. There is some real talent on that Pratt Skyline team, um, they're sitting there at the four seed. We expect them probably to beat Caldwell. Then they would play the top seed Norwich. And, boy, you don't want to – and if you're Norwich, that's that's kind of a scary second-round game because when that athleticism they have puts it together, that they can play with anybody. So that that truly is a, um extremely interesting uh, sub-state on the boys' side. Um, and when we look at – uh, this is what I really wanted to get into, Brad, when everything gets out, what Keisha has done with the state tournament. Um, substates are pretty normal. The first round at the higher seed 
Um, you start Monday, Tuesday with those, and you play the semis Thursday, Friday, championship on Saturday at the host sites Thursday through Saturday. That didn't change much, but what has changed is the way they're going to do the state tournament. Let me at least get to where I'm looking at this so I don't get it wrong. The opening rounds of the there are the quarterfinals in the state tournament are going to be played at a the higher seated home site. That's actually going to start on Monday the eighth um, for I believe all the classifications. But what they have done, they have made it to where it's only going to be a, a seed as determined between two what they're calling groups or substates. The higher seed out of group one and group two will play one another. So they have lumped group one against group two, three against four, five against six, and seven against eight. And then those four winners advance to the local or the regional site for that state tournament. Um, there will be no third place game on Saturday, just two championship games. Um, my first reaction is waiting to seed, truly seed, until the semifinals, I do not like it. Um, grouping, this group's going to play this group because we all know what can happen. We could have the number one and two teams, the two favorites, play each other in the quarterfinals under this scenario. I, I understand why they're playing at the higher seed on the, the, the first night and the second night. So they have fewer teams at a local site, which means fewer fans that will be there with, with the COVID season and everything. But I don't like not seeding that first round. Yeah, it's because it, it makes for some matchups that I'm looking at 1A Division One. If Little River wins that substate, and it's not going to be easy, that's a pretty decent substate at Canton Galva. Uh, they would play the winner of the sixth substate, which would be, lo and behold, Clifton Clyde. Mm. Clifton Clyde, 16 and 2 right mm -hmm. now. And, of course, you know that Clifton Clyde would probably love to have a shot at Little River after they ended uh, Clifton Clyde's football season. And the only losses that Clifton Clyde has had this year to Hanover. And when you lose to Hanover, that's like losing you know, to the Lakers or something like that. <laughs> Hanover's always good. Both the Clifton Clyde's losses have been to Hanover. So I tell you what, uh, you know, we talked about Little River all year, but their subset alone is tough. And even if they get out of it, maybe playing Clifton Clyde. Uh, you, you're making my point for me. I, I, I don't like predetermined games. Obviously, they're, I, I guess in a way they are seeding because they're going to say the higher seeded to those two. So they're going to look at the field, seed the field, but then it's predetermined um, what substate winners play each other. And that's the part I don't like because, like you said, you could have the number one and number two seeds playing each other in the first round and, and then – that kind of shoots the whole seeding in my mind to, you know, why do you, why do you seed then? And I, I, I said, I, I was a little baffled. I understand why they're playing the first round at the, with the higher seeded, but I don't understand the predetermined grouping the way they're doing it. Yeah, I, I, I don't either. And it's been kind of consistent about, about the only sport that they didn't really touch was football. I know that there's a lot of uh, people upset with how they seeded volleyball, golf, tennis, et cetera. So, uh, it, it's 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 nothing that's out of uh, that that we haven't seen throughout the year. It's just that mean we have to like it though. It's just definitely a little uh, strange. Um, so yeah, that that's the way it is. But of course, the alternative um, that we saw last year, I'll, I'll take whatever format that they right. got out there. That means the kids are going to get a play, and we're going to get to call those what is the best basketball of the year, the postseason which is just about upon us. Um, so we're going to go a couple other places. Uh, Hutch Juco uh, basketball is underway. They're actually about each team is eight games into their season. The Hutch Juco men are five and three, four and three in the Jayhawk. Uh, the women are six and two. They're five and two in the Jayhawk. Uh, you're, you're close there in Hutch, Brad. What have you seen so far out of the, the Blue Dragon men and women? Well, the men have they've had some tough losses. You know, they played Coffeyville, who's probably the the top dog on the men's side, and they lost by twenty in that game. They squandered a big lead late against Butler, lost that game. I think they they led by eleven with three minutes left, lost by one. And then Cali, they they lost one hundred and thirteen to ninety nine to Cali. Cali put up one hundred and forty one against uh, I think it was Dodge City earlier this year. So Cali, high flying team, but Dodge is six and two right now, and that's who Hutch plays on Monday. You know, it, it's it's still a little early. 
they, they definitely have talent. They, I mean, they, they're always, they always do. Their, their victories have been, for the most part, pretty comfortable, with the exception of independence. They won on a shot at the buzzer. That, that uh, Matt Mayers has been something special. He had 44 points in that loss to Cali. Yeah. And then uh, Major Kuat, who I actually have in class, had 22 points uh, down at Cali. So they got some pieces there for sure. They are without Josh Baker, their top returning player, and, and, and one of their guards. So when he comes back, it's really going to be uh, beneficial. And, of course, on the women's side, you know, they're always going to be in the mix. And I know they got a couple of losses here early on to Butler, and they've been kind of a tough opponent. And then they, 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 they were right there with Independence and kind of fell apart late and lost by six. I think when it comes down to it at the very end, you know, Hutch is going to be there. I'm pretty sure I'd have to double check this. But, you know, Butler and Independence, the two teams that have beaten the Hutch women so far, I'm pretty sure they're on the eastern side. Of the of the conference, let's see. I got it right here. Now Butler's actually yes, they're in the East, so you know Hutch didn't have to worry about them the rest of the, until po- potentially the postseason. But still, you still got Seward and Barton's always pretty good too. So there's some tough matchups coming up for the women. Also, I do think that at the end of the day, that they're probably still the favorite to win the Jayhawk West, and they'll be one of the top two or three teams to win the uh, to win the region. Also, well, it's just nice to see uh, the JUCOs back on the floor. Um, started up in late late January and into February just to, to get their seasons going. Of course, that's going to push their, their postseason and the, uh, the big tournament for the national tournament there in Hutch is going to be, I believe, the second week of April, somewhere in that time frame when, when we'll see the national tournament. But good to see uh, the JUCOs back on the floor. And another thing that returned here in the last week, week and a half, Brad, is uh, college football, uh, the football – FCS, the football championship series has begun. Uh, the KCAC, and I'll be covering this, most of the spring season for the Sterling Warriors. That's going to start on March 6th. I'm still trying to wrap my brain around that one um, to get ready for football season right in the middle of postseason basketball. Um, but the FCS, um, of course, the big splash was Deion Sanders is now a head coach uh, at the FCS level with Jackson State. They won their debut big, I believe, 55 to nothing. Um, in his debut. So what do you think of uh, spring football is uh, is upon us in the FCS and it's just about upon us here at the local level. We know that the, the, the Blue Dragons will be playing a spring season as will the Warriors. Yeah, it's going to be, it just feels weird talking about football in, in February unless it's the NFL draft. But yeah, I'm looking at uh, these FCS scores. They're, they're, full, they're in full swing right now. I know the Blue Dragons got some pretty high expectations. They were ranked number three in one of the preseason polls, not the NJCAA. I don't, I don't think they came out with one yet. But a lot of expectations for the Blue Dragons. First coach, uh, first year coach Drew Dallas. Uh, heard nothing but good things about him. I know that uh, he's, he definitely seems to be popular with the players. And they got a lot of their, you know, coaching staff back from the from the previous regime. Uh, Greg Cross is an outstanding uh, coach, and they've got some they got some pieces in there. But the one thing I really want to give a shout out to about what Hutch has done when it comes to to football is they have hit Kansas hard this year. They are recruiting the heck out of Kansas, and they're getting a lot of top players. I mean, they got Darby Roper from Haven. They've gotten players from May South. They've gotten players from Kansas City. They're getting players from everywhere, not just commits. They're getting signings from these places. So I, I really like seeing that. I know that there's the controversy about how many out-of-state players should be allowed. And, you know, I, I'm a, I, I think that there's a happy medium. I don't think 12 was enough out-of-state players. I don't think you need to have uh, just no, hold, no holds barred either. But I really like what I've seen from how Hutch is recruiting the state of Kansas. They're going to bring in some very good in-state talent next year that's really going to make this team, I think, Compet- I mean, they're, they're going to be competitive this year as it is, but I, I, I like what I see so far from this new coach. Well, it doesn't matter what sport, what level, uh, the, the saying always is, you have to keep local talent local um, to build your program. I mean, we've seen it with, you know, covering the Sterling Lady Warriors, all the Kansas kids and all the close Kansas kids, Sterling, Haven, uh, Mound Ridge, Kingman, you know, uh, that's, that's great to see that um, it can be done if you can keep that local talent local. So I'm um, good to hear Hutch Juco is going that route. Uh, the Sterling Warriors, they, they were 0-4 in the fall, Brad. Uh, I said, I got to get with the coach. You know, there's – I don't know what we're going to see because there's a lot of the schools that say, well, these guys, you know, they didn't hang around for the spring. They left. Well, we got these guys came in. Uh, I think we'll see 
somewhat similar rosters that we saw in the fall. I think we're going to see some new guys, some guys that aren't going to be there. Um, tough schedule. The, the the Warriors have six games scheduled. Um, right now, the belief is the St. Mary game will not take place. Um, so probably five games to play. Four of them are on the road. They'll only play Tabor at home. Um, I don't know what to expect. It's it's going to be a tough road to hoe to, to turn around when you're normally um, getting ready for the drills and stuff. You're getting ready for real games. It, it, I just really not sure what I'm going to see. I think we'll see some good football as always. Um, have no idea as far as outcomes and stuff, what, what we're going to see when it gets going. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. We're just gonna have to wait to see what we got. Uh, I think uh, for the for the teams like the FCS and and JUCO, maybe a little bit more of an unknown because they have literally nothing to go on, like the KCAC did. But even then, with the KCAC, you know, there's probably some roster turnover during the during the holidays and all that. So it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens all across uh, the spring <laughs> spring college football. Yeah, uh, that still seems weird to say, and it's going to seem even weirder because. Uh, I think my schedule for the first Warrior football game, Brad, is they're at Kansas Westland. It's a one o'clock game. I think I'm going to be calling uh, their football game. I'm going to get in the car and go to Heston and then call two sub-state final games um, that evening. So doing uh, football and basketball. I've done that before on the same day, but obviously never uh, in the first week of March. So uh, just the sports world that we live in, but good to see um, football going to get their regular seasons finished and have um, a championship series there at the NAIA level. Um, that is all of the regular topics I have this week, Brad. So what's your uh, final word for this week? Well, I just, I, I don't really have anything dramatic here. I just, you know, want to just compliment everyone who's kind of put in the time and the effort to make this, you know, unprecedented uh, year in sports happen. I mean, I'll be honest, you know, when we were in August and we're talking about, you know, football and we've seen a lot of cancellations and there's still cancellations going on. But I tell you that we've have had all the state championships so far. We've had national championships at the college level. It really, really speaks to, you know, how well organized we can be when we want to be. And, you know, the fact that we're getting ready, you know, we're talking postseason basketball now and it, all indications are that. We're going to have an NCAA tournament. We're going to have a, a Kansas State High School Activities Association state tournament across, across all classifications. So it's, it's definitely a tribute to all, everyone who's helped plan, you know, even just the, the, the very basic regular season games, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, getting those in just hasn't always been easy. And then there's, there's been hiccups. There's going to be more hiccups along the way. But the fact that we've gotten this far with very few, you know, cancellations overall really speaks, I think, to how well – or how how organized uh it's all been administrators uh they have been putting in the extra time with the schedules the reschedules the makeups the last minute cancellations you know the afternoon of a game when oh no it's only going to be a girls game or it's only going to be a boys game um i can't imagine trying to deal with all of that that they have dealt with this year and done such a good job to get it to this point and i guess my final thoughts are kind of echoing that as we get into the postseason folks i know there's going to be a lot of frustration with there's still going to be the much reduced attendance policy i i don't i have not seen exactly what um it's looking like for substate and state um, i would not expect any more than 25 percent capacity i do not know how they're going to get to that number who they are going to allow in i'm sure it's going to be parents are going to probably have to be on a list of some sort but um, please just don't blow a gasket, I guess, people. If you're not going to be allowed to go to a game, I, I'm very sorry about that. Um, but we're going to be covering them. T- t- turn us on. I know it's not the same as being there, but the kids are getting to play, and that, that by far is the most important thing. If you are able to go, you're on that list, or you can get tickets, just you know, please observe whatever policies are in place at the sites and just enjoy seeing the kids get something that they did not get last year um, is a state championship. Remember, it was pulled after the, the first round was complete, and that's what we don't want to see. I, I do not anticipate anything at all like that, but just, you know, please, I know it's going to be hard if you can't go and see 
you know, your grandson or your, or your nephew or whatever, um, please turn us on. We'll do the best job we can bring you that action. But um, the important thing is the kids are going to get to that, that final game this year. And I just, just, just that comment for everybody that, that, that is going to be frustrated at some level on what the attendance policy will be. Yeah. Well said Scott, uh, you know, we've, we've been there through it all, you know, bringing, uh, you know, words and visuals from the games. And we, we appreciate everyone who's listened in. And again, there's nothing like being at the game, but we can just make it a little bit longer. You know, all all this will be in the past. And uh, in the meantime, definitely support. And not just uh, at Astro Radio and the games that we do, but statewide, nationwide, support your local radio stations and and, and listen to them because they're the ones who've been there for for you the the entire way. Absolutely. And again, if you want to see the the full week, and it'll be updated as we go along. Go to adastroradio.com on the sports page, especially when we get into next week and all the sub-states get going. That'll be updated on a daily basis. So um, please join us next uh, week. We'll have probably be recording Monday. We'll have a full look at all of the sub-states, um, how the postseason tournaments, the KCAC tournament, has been breaking down, more Jayhawks and everything. But for this week's View from the Press Box, For Brad Hallier, this is Scott Hogan. God bless. Enjoy your evening.